Long before Mother's Day became a day all about flowers and cards and taking mom to brunch, which I love, by the way, mom, you're, we're, we're doing brunch later. Um, but before that, that all happened. There was Julia Ward Howe, who was an American poet and activist, the woman who wrote the words to the Battle Hymn, The Republic. Do you remember that one? Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. It's, a, oh, it's an intense song. But Julia Ward Howe was raised an Episcopalian. She was raised a strict Calvinist Episcopalian in New York City, born to a Boston Brahmin and a Wall Street stockbroker. Raised in privilege, her, her family intermarried with Astors and Vanderbilts. Julia married a physician, Samuel Howe, who was the founder of the Perkins Institute for the Blind. And theirs was not a happy marriage by most accounts. But what Julia Ward and Samuel Howe shared in common was a firm commitment to advocacy and to political action. They were committed abolitionists, both of them wrote, spoke, advocated for enslaved people. Their home in Boston is rumored to have been a stop on the Underground Railroad. And when they married in 1843, I expect Samuel thought that Julia would settle down, stop her writing activism career, and raise children, which she did, six kids over 10 years. But Julia Ward Howe never settled down in the way that her husband, much less the genteel Victorian society that she was a part of, expected her to. She remained very active as a writer and as a poet, an essayist, an advocate for emancipation, for women's suffrage, for pacifism. In 1870, the governor of Massachusetts named her, uh, nominated her to be a, a justice of the peace. It was not legal for women to hold that rock to the Supreme Court intervened and said, women cannot do this. Uh, so she was never seated. And so two years after that happened, Julia Ward Howe's aspirations to political office quashed, seemingly. She wrote what has become, to my mind, perhaps the most important little bit of political advocacy that she ever penned. It is her Mother's Day Proclamation of 1872. Arise, she wrote. Arise, Christian women of this day. Arise, all women who have hearts, whether your baptism be that of water or of tears. Say firmly, we will not have great questions decided for us by irrelevant agencies. <laughs> you want to know who she had in mind? She goes on, our husbands shall not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our children, our sons, shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. From the bosom of a devastated earth, a voice rises with our own. It says, disarm, disarm. The sword of murder shall not be the valance of justice. Blood does not wipe out dishonor, nor violence vindicate possession as men have often forsaken the plow and the anvil at the summons of war, let women now leave aside all that may be left of home and hearth for a great and earnest day of counsel. We don't think of Julia Ward Howe as a 19th century orator with Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. I think it's time to mount the case. That is biblical rhetoric. She was the first person that, I, I think, the first, the first person to put in print the term Mother's Day. We might say she invented the term Mother's Day. But Julia Ward Howe's idea of the original Mother's Day was not a day for the society to take mom to brunch. It was a day for the women of the world to organize towards the action that mattered the most, 
to them. Julia Ward Howe thought that a truly observed Mother's Day would end global warfare, poverty, injustice. She was urging the mothers of the world to rise up and claim power and voice in a society that offered them very little of that. She never really got her great and earnest day of counsel, not, not the way that she imagined it. She was, hoping, she was writing to the president. She was hoping that he would call a national Mother's Day for mothers to gather and organize. He did not do that. 36 years later, a, a friend, an associate of hers, Anna Jarvis, came along, fashioned a different kind of Mother's Day to celebrate hearth and home, child rearing and maternal care. And that original warrior spirit of Mother's Day, that radical voice that Julia Ward Howe heard coming from the bosom of the devastated earth, that voice got muffled for a little bit, lost in the, the sentiment, the sentimentality of the so-called cult of true womanhood. But we're 150 years out now from Julia Ward Howe's original vision for this day. And I think there are many of us, men and women alike, mothers and not, many of us turning to her text with fresh eyes, ready to, ready to engage this vision of motherhood and activism, a call to organize for justice that she originally envisioned for this day, a day on which the women of the world would come together and work for change. So the voice that she heard, right, speaking from the bosom of the devastated earth, that voice has never gone silent. Right? It speaks to us still in our celebrations, our picnics, our brunches. It's the voice, I think, calling from the schoolyards and the shopping malls, the bus stations and backyards of this country. Everywhere, a person with a gun has massacred innocent civilians. That voice cries from the bosom of this devastated earth, right? Our nation, which has experienced more than 200 mass shootings in 100 days. From the bosom of a devastated earth, a voice rises with our own. The Bible is full of texts, stories, if you like, about people who heard that voice. Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will send you a very special Mother's Day present. No, that's not quite what he says. That's actually where the text, that's actually where the text gets a little bit tricky. The Greek word that Jesus uses for the gift that God is going to send is parakletos. We translate it paraklete in English, which is not a word that anybody uses anymore. Although those of you who have studied a little bit of Greek and Latin might hear an echo of what these words mean. Paraklete, right? One who stands alongside, comes alongside somebody else. And the original use of that term actually comes out of Roman legal code. A parakletos was, was like the family attorney. Right? So one way of understanding the present that Jesus is sending to his disciples is like, I'm going to send you God's family attorney who will be with you forever. And apparently that did not sound particularly comforting to his original followers. I don't want, I, don't, I love the lawyers out there. I know that you are sitting out there. I love you. But I don't necessarily want you following me around like in my moments of prayer and, and, uh, and penitence. So English translations go for a more, a more general term. It also has legal overtones, right? Advocate, that's a term that has some legal overtones for us. That's how our text translates. I will send you an advocate who will be with you forever. Another way that that term gets rendered in English, and there are some translations that do this, is comforter, right? You'll sometimes hear the Holy Spirit talked about as the holy comforter, the one who will be with you forever. That's what, this, that's, that's what word is being translated here. The word means both things. We don't have a good English term that can mean, at the same time, an advocate and a comforter, an intercessor and a consoler, one who, in the words of another great 20th century muckraker, afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. I think that's the best defini definition I've heard of how the Holy Spirit of God works.
This is the Spirit of God, right? That's what Jesus is talking about, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God who, who breathed all things into being in creation. And in Hebrew tradition, God's Spirit is traditionally assigned she, her pronouns because breath is a, is a feminine noun in Hebrew. It's masculine in Greek. That's why our, our text gives he, him pronouns or the Holy Spirit. But the original way of thinking about the Spirit, the kind of the original Holy Spirit pronouns have always been she, her. Just as Jesus' pronouns are clearly he, his, and nobody really knows God's pronouns, but I'd suggest that they, them are probably the best pronouns for a God who sometimes shows up as dad and sometimes shows up as mom, who refuses to get boxed into human gender binaries, but instead gets incarnate, if you like, in a male body as Jesus and in a female identified breath as the Holy Spirit, a paraclete, one who is at the same time both a comforter and an advocate, a consoler and an activist, a pastor and a prophet. I mean, that's how we talk about the Holy Spirit in the creeds, right? The one who has spoken through the prophets, that's how we hear her voice, is in prophecy. She's a comforter who is not very comfortable. As the internet meme goes right now, anytime a, a celebrity does something fierce or fiery, she is so mother for that. She's like the original mother, right? The original spirit of prophetic motherhood, the voice that Julia Ward Howe and so many women like her have heard rising up from the devastating earth. Lots of us know the dangers of a church that enshrines that spirit as a holy comforter only. I think of it as like a holy duvet cover, right? The one who muffles the cries of the world's anguish and lulls her children into a kind of apathetic slumber. That's a comforter who is robbed of her power, this languorous voice of apathy and indifference. And it's not surprising to me that there are not a few Episcopal churches named in her honor. You may have worshipped in a church of the Holy Comforter. Our churches have tended to be havens sometimes for that apathetic, indifferent sort of Christianity. And I got to tell you, there's nothing holy about that vision. That's the voice of accommodation. It's not the voice of God. So too, some of us know the dangers of a spirit of militant advocacy, the kind of advocacy that works on fear and not on love. That's a, a spirit, a voice, if you like, that insists the ends always justify the means. Justice must be won at any price necessary, and if a little blood is spilt along the way, so be it. There's an echo of that kind of, that kind of violent advocacy in the hymn that made Julia Ward Howe famous. It's a, hen, it's a hymn that sends a chill up my spine every time I hear it. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fearful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Get out of the way. Like the image of the holy duvet cover, right? That image of God's holy sword plays a little fast and loose with some good scriptural imagery. The wrath of God, the two-edged sword of God, the non-compromising God of vengeance and truth. I mean, that, that's there in the Bible. But in human hands, that spirit easily can become a kind of truth without mercy, a justice without compassion, advocacy with no comfort, and that is a scary thing. I do not think that is a holy thing. So Jesus offers us this third alternative, a way to rightly understand how God's voice shows up in the world, a way to, to negotiate, if you like, the dangers of a duvet cover on one hand and a sword on the other, God's spirit 
God's breath, God's holy living presence in the world, which is at the same time both a comforter and an advocate. You can't have one without the other. This is power stemming from love. And when I think of the great, the great moms of this tradition, the, he, the heroes of Hebrew scripture, right? Rachel and Leah and Sarah and Hagar and Naomi and Jacobet and Hannah, as well as the women of the New Testament, Mary and Elizabeth and Lois and Eunice. I mean, truly, these are the ones who show us what God's spirit looks like in a human body. These women are both comforters and advocates. They, they refuse to stay, to stay silent in the face of injustice. They are always ready to talk back, often at the risk of great peril and danger. These are women who know from their lived experience that Truth without mercy and justice without compassion is just violence and hatred dressed up under a different name. These are the mothers of the Bible. And if we're going to celebrate a, a biblical Mother's Day, a Mother's Day that allows us actually to, to hear the voice rising from the devastated earth, I mean, if this country has a ghost of a chance to stand against the tides of the gun lobbyists and the Second Amendment fundamentalists and all the little boys with their big guns, and I think it's time to pray. I think it's time to come together and seek that, that spirit, the original spirit of this day, which is to say the spirit of a paraclete who comforts those who mourn in Zion, bestowing on them the crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise, not a spirit of despair. I learned this stuff from my mom, right? I learned it from my grandmothers, Lois and Eunice. You have them too, right? These people in your life. I learned it from my sister, who is not a mom, but uses her brain in a way that is absolutely about bringing power to the world. I learned it from my aunts, from Betty and Elaine and Nancy and Shirley, and then all my other aunties, the women who have been my, my mentors, my advocates, my teachers, my friends. I learned it from Anna Druce and Barb Murray and Karen Mitchell, some of the first people I ever came out to. I learned it from my second grade teacher, Sue Foster, who was a good Episcopalian. I learned it from Liz Searle, my first boss. I, I learned it from my first Sunday school teacher, Miss Delight. I always called her Miss Delight, even after she got married. I could not stop calling her Miss Delight. And she was a delight. She's, in, she's gone on to glory now. She sings with the angels. Some of those women were mothers. Many of them were not. Every single one of them embodied in her own unique and sometimes mysterious way, the spirit of the paraclete, an advocate and comforter, the voice that rises and rebels, a voice that comforts and soothes, a voice that sings freedom songs in deepest darkness when this world seemed to be tottering on the brink of destruction. Those are the moments when I hear my grandmother singing. And it, are, it is almost always an old gospel hymn that she is singing, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, Have Thine Own Way. Out on the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. My grandmother loved that hymn. And in my moments of darkness and despair, when I need a comforter and an advocate, that is the hymn she sings me. Leave aside your guns. Leave aside the weapons of destruction and decay, she says. Pick up a hymnal, boy. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see, thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. So happy Mother's Day, friends. May the spirit of the advocate abide with us still, because we need her. We need her now more than ever.